This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. We have overheat on Booster B. What does that mean? We can't stop it. Booster B is near ignition. It's going to light. Get that thing operational. Go for launch. Now! We're not authorized. Light it or they're going to die. What's happening? Do it now. Light it. impossible mistake launch them into space the adventure of their lives will be getting back home space camp i can't wait to go to space <laughs> camp with all of you lovely listeners welcome back to another blast from the past with your host with the most me baby trey the tradle juice i don't know that, that take it back space it was dumb. me trey harris <laughs> and the uh, my fellow counselor at Space Camp, my, uh, let's see, pilot, I'll be Shuttle Commander, Jesse will be the pilot, if you've seen the movie, you'll get where I'm going with that. Of course, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And now we're talking about a movie that apparently a lot of people haven't seen, but I, I saw this movie so much as a kid. This was one of my favorites to rent as a kid, because as any six, any, as typical six, seven-year-old in the 80s, love space shuttles because, you know, before the program was retired you know it was, a, it was a big deal when a shuttle launched uh, of course until earlier that same year where we'll talk about that in a minute but yeah anyway space camp everybody so you haven't seen it kind of hard to find uh, as i mentioned last week in the episode i think the only place it was available was amazon to rent uh, or apple tv to rent one of those it was an often rented film as i mentioned and let's get to the who what when where as we start our orientation meeting for Space Camp, uh, released June 6, 1986. IMDb gives it a 5.7. Rotten Tomatoes, 46% critics, 50% audience. We're still on a streak. That's, I think, five in a row. Uh, this is the biggest gap, I think, in the past five weeks with 4% as opposed to 1% to 3% from the previous one. So the last few movies were on a hot streak for uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, congruence, so to speak. Uh, this film was made on an $18 million dollar budget you'd have, you'd have thought with 18 million dollars the green screen effects would have been better but they're not especially in hd uh it opened however at 2.9 so not a bad opening however for the weekend of june 6th almost let's see this is 2022 today we're recording this on june 1st or so we're five days off of the uh 40 my math is 14 plus 22 is what 30 36 36 anniversary of space camp releasing Wow. Uh, literally almost to the day, <laughs> but anyway, not that that's a big thing that you should ever, uh, you know, have a party for, but Hey, some people might they really like this movie. Uh, but anyway, the opening at 2.9 million was enough to make it number six at the box office that week. I'm sorry. Number five, excuse me. Number five at the box office that week. Hold on. Wait, Am I, is my notes wrong? One, two, three, four, five. No, it was six. Sorry. I'm, I had a typo on the other one. It was, it opened at 2.9 million, number six at the box office because just like today, 36 years later, the number one movie, the weekend that Space Camp opened, was in fact, you can guess, Top Gun. In its fourth week, was still number one at the box office. Of course, Top Gun Maverick hit theaters uh, this past Friday. Uh, haven't seen it yet because babysitters are expensive. Yeah, anyway, that's another story. Parents know what I'm talking about. Number two, however, was Raw Deal with Schwarzenegger, which is funny because number three was Cobra with Stallone. Number four was Poltergeist 2. Short Circuit was uh, number five in its fifth week. 
And thus, Basecamp settled for number six. And honestly, with all that above it, it's easy to see why it was, uh, you know, uh, not quite a big hit releasing in the summer of 86, which as we, as we talked about in our series on uh, top 10 movies of the year that, you know, 86 was a big year, though not really quite as big as, you know, compared to some of the other years in the 80s. But anyway, it would go on to domestically gross 9.6, making back roughly just half of its $18 million budget. Uh, so that's why we didn't get Space Campers or Space Camp 2. Although we did get Jason X, you know, which you can sort of see as a pseudo sequel to Space Camp when Jason goes to space. Anyway, uh, this was directed by Harry Weiner. Uh, pretty much all this guy did was a bunch of TV. Uh, it was written by Patrick Bailey. Well, excuse me. He did the, he had the story for it. Uh, and then it, the screenplay was by Clifford Green and Casey T. Mitchell. Now, Mitchell did nothing else to note, but Clifford Green did another movie that I was very excited to rent at the video store because it was called Baby. And it had a little baby brontosaurus on the cover. And then we rented it one time, and it was so bad I never rented it again. Uh, unlike Space Camp, which I rented multiple times, but we'll get more into that after we get all the who, what, when, where out of the way. Cinematography was by William A. Fraker. He also did War Games, Tombstone, and most importantly, he was in fact the cinematographer for the greatest film ever made, Jean-Claude Van Damme's Street Fighter. Uh, score now. Here's the here's the shocker because I didn't I didn't know this as a kid. If I did, I've obviously forgot it since I've seen it because I haven't seen this movie probably in a good at least twenty twenty five years. Uh, but the score for this movie was done by none other than arguably the greatest. Uh, let's just say I mean he is the greatest film composer of all time, Mister John Williams. Of course, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Jaws, Superman. I mean, three of those. If four, if all of those would be in my top ten movie scores. <laughs> Uh, you know, the legendary John Williams. And the score is fine. It's definitely not tier of John Williams, but it's fine. I mean, you can definitely kind of hear that Williams-esque uh, swell to it, you know, when things build and everything. You know, it's almost, you know, with Spiel, uh, I'm sorry, with John Williams' relationship with Spielberg, it's almost Spielbergian, so to speak, uh, with uh, how John Williams' scores are. You think of, oh, because you know, of course he did E.T. as well. Uh, you know, so frequent collaborator with Spielberg, although Spielberg had nothing to do with this movie. Uh, except for the fact that his future wife was play was the lead actress in it, the lovely Kate Capshaw as Andy. Uh, most people obviously would know her as Willie Scott from Temple of Doom. She was also in Black Rain uh, with Michael Douglas and with Dennis Quaid in Dreamscape. And one of the reasons I rented this movie so much was because as a child, I was just in love with her <laughs> in this movie. I don't know why. I don't know. I mean, I, I know why because she's beautiful. But I mean, I don't know why at six, you know, it came out in 86. I mean, it was on VHS, you know probably by the end of the year, early into 87. I'm not sure why as a kid, I just, I would, I just thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world when I was a kid watching this movie. And she is, she's very pretty. Uh, don't get me wrong. However, watching it, you know, a couple of days ago, I was like, how did I just not look at Kelly Preston? Why was I so fatuated with Kate Capshaw? But, uh, and also Leah Thompson's in this, but anyway, yeah, Kate Capshaw is kind of your main character. Then you have Leah Thompson, of course, as Catherine, of course, back to the future. Uh, and let's not forget Howard the Duck. Uh, which came out the same year as this movie. So it's really crazy because uh, you know, Leah Thompson's pretty, but um, I mean, when she's between Kelly Preston and Kate Capshaw, I mean, it's a matter of preference. I'm not judging anybody. Uh, she would be my third choice out of those three for who to ask out on a date first. Uh, but, you know, and then she does Howard the Duck the same year. And that's the movie that I, when I think of Leah Thompson, I think of her as Beverly from Howard the Duck. because She was gorgeous, you know, Gorgeous in that movie with the faux punk aesthetic, I guess. Maybe that's a little more 
my speed, but uh, she's great in this. Uh, and then Kelly Preston, as I mentioned before, is Tish, rest in peace. Uh, passed away, I think, uh, what was that, 2020, I believe, of, uh, I think it was cancer, I believe. Uh, of course, she was married to John Travolta. She started with him in Battlefield Earth. She was also in Jerry Maguire. And she actually dated Charlie Sheen before her and John Travolta got together. And a little, well, maybe a little known fact to people today. But uh, yeah, uh, Charlie Sheen accidentally shot her, in case you didn't know that little tidbit. Uh, so yeah, but uh, fortunately, she has you know, passed away. I was, I was really shocked, honestly shocked when I saw that because it was just kind of out of nowhere. Uh, kind of similar with Norm Macdonald, you know, the, the Ill, it wasn't like a public illness, which is, you know, under, you know, that's fine, but uh, definitely leads to the shock factor, I think, when you hear it happen. Uh, and then Larry B. Scott is Rudy, uh, veteran of the podcast. He was in The Karate Kid, and probably most people remember him as, uh, oh, I forgot his name, but Revenge of the Nerds. Leroy, I think is his character's name in Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, Tate Donovan is Kevin. The uh, kind of too cool for school, stereotypical 80s character in this film. Uh, however, he, you know, he, he was in Argo with uh, uh, shoot, Ben Affleck, but most notably, uh, all the every every kid every kid that went to this camp in this movie like went on to bigger and better things for the most part. Uh, well, definitely bigger and better things for sure based on this movie. But uh, Tate Donovan actually was the voice of Hercules in Disney Disney's Hercules and reprises that role in every Kingdom Hearts game that has Hercules. So he is Disney's Hercules. Uh, the great Tom Skerritt is Zach, which is. I don't know. It's I just find it weird, you know, adults with the name Zach. I guess it's because growing up with uh, Saved by the Bell, you know, I, when I hear the name Zach, the first thing, I don't, I don't care who, if I, even if I'm looking at someone, I see the name Zach. In my head, I see Zach Morris right there. I don't know. Zach just seems like such a kid name. It seems like when you're older, you should be Zach. Yes, I'm Dr. Zachary. Uh, oh, yes, my husband, Zachary. Uh, oh, perfect example. Perfect example, you know, uh, uh, Star Trek, the, the reboot, Star Trek, uh, Zachary Quinto. He doesn't go by Zach Quinto. He's Zachary Quinto. Like, yes, dignified, respected, Zachary. You know, stick all you Zachs out there, stick with the Zachary. You know, go, 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 with, the, go with the longer name. I tend to advocate for shortness and swiftness, but, you know, Zach just, I don't know, just seems like it's, that's a high school name. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But, of course, Tom Skerritt, speaking of Top Gun, Viper and Top Gun, uh, and, of course, Commander Dallas in Alien, the OG Alien. And another massive veteran of the podcast, Terry O'Quinn as the launch director. Of course, most people these days might remember him as uh, from Lost, but I mean, he's been in a ton of stuff. The stepfather, Silver Bullet, character actor. But once Lost came, he had much bigger, more dominant roles or bigger roles in uh, all the stuff he was in. And in their feature film debut, a little kid by the name of Leaf Phoenix, as they were credited in this movie, as Max. Uh, you've all heard of Leaf. You know who Leaf Phoenix is, right? He was in. Uh, he played Johnny Cash and Walk the Line. He was that that snot nosed emperor in Gladiator. Uh, he was a comic. Who, oh, he was the Joker in that Joker movie. Yeah, because he's Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, this was his feature film debut. There he is, right there, watching him. Uh, as Tom Skerritt shines a light in his, directly in his face, like some sort of cop. Uh, but yeah, feature film debut of Leaf, aka Joaquin Phoenix, who would definitely go on to much bigger, much much bigger things. Uh, from this film and finally i'd be remiss not to mention in as the voice of jinx because when you need a robot who talks there's only one actor that you go to and that gentleman's name is of course mr frank welker of course uh from transformers the voice of megatron he also did shao Kahn and reptile in the world combat movie 881 credits on imdb so 
right up there with Hitler with the number of credits. Uh, but uh, here's here's an interesting fact. I want to. Uh, I mean, I found out the other day looking up stuff uh, while watching something else with my wife on the couch. But uh, if you if you if you look at the highest grossing actors of all time, and when I say actors, uh, we're looking at basically starring roles, cameos, voice acting, everything. The three highest grossing actors. I'll give you a hint. Frank Welker is number three. His movies that he has been a part of have grossed a total of $17 billion worldwide. He's the third highest grossing actor in terms of all roles, as I specified before. Number two is Samuel L. Jackson at $27 billion. Give me a guess at who you think is the highest grossing actor of all time if you include every single role. If they were in a movie, voice, uh, cameo, main actor, supporting actor, who do you think is the highest grossing actor of all time? And this is what blew my mind when I saw who it was. The highest grossing actor in film history including, you know, under the, you know, asterisk all roles is none other than the late, great Stan the Man Lee. $30 billion. And once you hear it, it's, it makes perfect sense as of, yeah, when under those, that criteria, absolutely. So there's your fun fact. If you're ever on Jeopardy, if you count every role, Stan Lee is in fact the highest grossing actor of all time in terms of the movies that he's been in and their box office revenue. And again, that is strictly because of the Kevin Smith classic Mallrats. Of course, no, MCU. So there you go. There's your factoid. Well, I wonder if that number is going to keep going up since they're going to make them CG now. I really hope they don't do that. I think that's just, you know, I don't care. Oh, Sam would have loved it. No, you know, let's be, you know, just just have his picture on the wall. Like, you know, as a president, you know, when they're in the president's office and like it shows the the... the the other presidents, you know, Stan Lee's there, you know, do it like that. I mean, they don't need to like, it, it, you don't need that distraction in a movie. Uh, Uncanny Valley is still there. But anyway, so Space Camp. Now, hopefully some of you have seen this movie. Uh, it wasn't just a fluke that I happened to rent it a whole bunch because of my literal schoolboy crush on Kate Capshaw. But yeah, as a kid, I loved it. And I think watching it again recently, I think it's two. It's a twofold factor for, for young Trey why I love this movie. One was because Kate Capshaw and hopefully, you know, probably also Kelly Preston because she's absolutely gorgeous in this film. But the plethora of Star Wars references that, everything Joaquin Phoenix says in this movie is practically a Star Wars reference. And probably the best moment of, the best gag in the movie is Star Wars related, which I don't want to spoil in case you haven't seen it because it's it's a great, like, because I, I, I don't, I remembered certain bits and pieces of the film because I haven't seen it in so long. And then the moment I'm mentioning happens, I was like genuinely like laughing, like, yes, perfect. That's awesome. I can't believe it. Oh, I remember that now. Growing up in the 80s, literally at the start of the 80s, January 30th, 1980 was when I graced the earth with my presence. So literal 80s baby, 30 days in, started with the 80s. So that, you know, 80s was my childhood. 90s was my, you know, teenage years. Uh, both, you know, two of them were, I, I was, you know, the most formative years of both of our lives, really, Jesse, and with our age group, the 80s and the 90s. But uh, in the 80s, you know, uh, uh, like I said, this came out June 6, 1986. Now, before January, oh, what day was the Challenger? Was it? Uh, it was 28th. I almost said January 6th, but that's 
that's a day that will live in infamy because of recent reasons. Woo, woo, woke alert, woke alert. Oh no, watch out. He mentioned January 6th in a negative light because it was. It was fucking ridiculous. Uh oh, whoa, wee. I gotta, have, I gotta have a different klaxon. Progressive alert, progressive alert. More on that in the review section uh, where we beg for reviews. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, so in the 80s, you know, space, space shuttle launches were a huge deal for all you youngins out there. Uh, it was, you know, it was always televised. You know, it was something, you know, if a launch happened during school hours, as the Challenger one did back on that day and two days before my sixth birthday, uh, I got to watch, you know, a space shuttle blow up at school. And then we got to go home for the day. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a huge deal. It was big. You know, space was, it was exciting then. It still is. Don't get me wrong. Although, you know, it, it's not exciting. You know, today it's billionaires competing to who can get there first as opposed to a more Star Trekian, you know, sense of discovery and amazement that, wow, we're, we're, you know, we're going to space again, you know, and such a big deal. You know, well, of course, the space, and also caveat there, the space shuttle actually goes to real space. Not, you know, uh, what the top of the stratosphere or ionosphere, whatever these uh, Blue Origin and Virgin Space, whatever it is, go to. You know, not they technically don't really go to space. Uh, technically, if you want to, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson it. Uh, but anyway, you know, like when I was a kid, like the idea of space camp was like the coolest thing. Like, oh, space camp? You could go to space camp and like get in the shuttle. Of course, in the movie, they get in the shuttle. But space camp, you didn't really get in the shuttle because... They had to get, you know, the plot of the movie requires getting the space camp kids into an actual shuttle and then getting that shuttle into space, which then requires basically the precursor to R2-D2 to who they, you know, they, they had a plot point earlier in the movie to establish that, oh, this $27 million robot takes things too literally. So when Joaquin Phoenix is like, man, I want to go to space. The robot's like, send Mac or Frank Wilker as Jinx, the robot like, send Max to space. I will send Max to space. How can I send Max to space? Oh, when they sit in the shuttle for their test engine test, I will cause a catastrophic failure that would require them to launch the shuttle rather than have it blow up with children inside on the launch pad in a theatrical film released six months after the Challenger explosion. So, yeah, we'll get to that in the trivia. <laughs> you know, you want to talk about ill-timed movies, you know. I mean, you know, in, in 2001, in one, they... uh. They took out the Trade Center out of the Spider-Man teaser trailer, you know, where they just showed the Twin Towers. This movie is basically the Challenger explosion, except with a happy ending. Now, of course, at the time, as, as, as a six-year-old, you know, I obviously, I mean, uh, until 9-11, until, I guess, well, until Col Columbine, it was probably the most shocking thing I ever saw on television was the Challenger explosion. It was definitely the first, like, you know, you see those posts, uh, where people are trying to get all your information, you know, by finding out what you like. What was the big, what was the first big news event you remember? Well, for me, it was absolutely the Challenger explosion. Because, uh, I mean, that was a huge, huge thing when it happened. Because, again, it happened during the day. Kids in schools across the country were watching it because there was a teacher on board, uh, Krista McAuliffe. And uh, speaking of the Challenger, if you, you know, oh, yeah, I've seen that, you know, uh, you know, if you know about it. But if you're interested in learning every detail about how greed and everything and and publicity and all sorts of uh, despicable factors that people held above human life uh, resulted in them attempting to launch the shuttle on that day. There, Netflix has an excellent uh, three or four part documentary series about the Challenger. Uh, just if you're on Netflix, just search Challenger; it'll pop up. 
I forget what it's, it's like. It's Challenger, and then it has a subtitle like you know. I can't remember what it is. I don't want to. I'll say it wrong if I could, you know, can't think of it. But I highly recommend that documentary. As we talk about usually when we bring up documentaries, it's a good one. Uh, it's one of those like you know I would watch again. It's like four hours, three hour, three four hours long. I would absolutely watch it again. Uh, they cover every aspect of it. Very well done. Heartbreaking, uh, and all that. So yeah, there's your there's some more stuff you can learn. But as, as far as Space Camp goes, uh, you know I, I could see why as a kid I loved it, and it was you know. You know, when you're a child, the only time you're truly innocent is when you're a kid. Well, well let me phrase that. Most children, most, no, uh, you know, normal. Well, I mean, what's normal these days? I'm trying to, uh, you know, stere- uh, stereotypical happy childhood is the only time in your life you're, you're you know, it, you're kind of uh, not indoctrinated, inoculated from how terrible the world is, you know. And then something like in my case, the Challenger disaster happened uh you know you get to high school and you know somebody in your class ends up killing themselves because of you know a variety of things that there's no outlet for them to get help with in school uh all sorts of things you know, uh like that's what i, t- I tell autumn all the time you're like i, I we're, we try to keep our daughter as innocent and carefree for as long as possible but the balancing act comes in of not you know you don't want to grow up in a nutshell because that's just as detrimental, I guess, you know, uh, you want, you know, but you want to, we want to protect our children from everything as long as we can. But we also have to understand that, you know, they have to understand how the world works at some point. But, uh, what I'm, what I'm getting at is in a very bizarre train of philosophy that I'm just spouting out with word vomit, I guess right now. But, um, you know, as a kid, like, even though I lit was, it was post challenger, you know, it was still like, I still love this movie because as a kid, I see it for like, oh, it's exciting. You know, we, we keep, you know, challenge. Yeah, you know, that was terrible, but it happened just that one time in Columbia a few years, you know, 10 years later, whenever it was, uh, you know, it's it's not a regular thing. So it's like, oh, yeah, you know, because we didn't we didn't have another shuttle mission, I think, for like a year or so after Challenger. It was a good bit because it was a big deal when we went back to space, you know, I very nervous. Uh, everybody watching that shuttle after Challenger, too. Uh, not Challenger, the number two, but you know what I'm saying. Anyway, anyway, uh, but, but, you know, watching space camp as an adult, you know, a middle-aged man, you know, as opposed to you, it's kind of sad. The last time I watched this movie, I was a kid. Like literally the last time my eyes watched this movie, I was a child. And, you know, watch now watching it as an adult, a, it makes me sad, makes me nostalgic. Uh, but, you know, watching this movie as an adult, this movie is so terrible. (laughs) Is uh, especially again because in the if it came out before Challenger, it wouldn't be terrible. It's still a, it's still a cheesy uh, movie in the vein of kind of Flight of the Navigator. How not talking shit about Flight of the Navigator, one of the greatest you know movies of all time. But you know it's where like logic takes a backseat to the fun and the the you know appealing the appeal to children dynamic of the movie because no adult will make the decisions people make in this movie. <laughs> uh in real life you know it's all like child level adult decision making in the movie uh which again is fine because this is a kids movie and they just kind of gloss over uh but it but it's it's still pretty eye-opening because again six months after challenger in the scene where uh they're launching they're supposed to just be testing the rocket and then jinx the r2d r2 unit tells the shuttle to like oh do this failure so they'll have to launch it so this robot basically attempts murder on these kids to get the, them to launch, hoping that they'll launch the shuttle as opposed to letting it blow up on the launch pad, which they do because you got to, again, whole plot of the movie is you got to get the kids to space. 
and it's fine. It's again, it's fun. It's an adventure movie in the, in an 80s way. Uh, you know, this movie would, would not be made the same way today, which we will get proof positive of that because trivia, jumping in the trivia, they are talking about remaking it on Disney+. Plus. Now, will they actually go to space or not? We'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, my thoughts on the movie as a kid, absolutely loved it. One of my favorite movies when I was a kid. Uh, it's still fine. I, 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 I could see kids liking it, but as an adult, it's like, yikes, that is a be- these adults are making terrible <laughs> decisions uh, consistently. But uh, it, was still, it was a still fun watch, a good nostalgic watch. If you haven't seen it, I'd say it's worth watching, uh, mainly just to see a lot of all the kids who go, would go on, like I mentioned before, to bigger and better things. Uh, Kate Capshaw with dark hair as opposed to blonde is sight to behold to me. Uh, but that's just my taste. That's kind of what I thought about the movie. I, I mean, does it, you know, had I not, the, the hard thing for me to, to give a, a proper, uh, not example, a uh, opinion on, I guess, is, because literally, I mean, I literally, like truly, this is a movie from my childhood, so I can't separate the nostalgia from it. So I know that uh, has uh, definitely has an effect on how I perceive it. But again, as an adult, you know, <laughs> if my kids were on that shuttle, oh, they, I'd be in jail already. Like, well, you know, how this happened? But, you know, it's just it's terrifying as a parent to think of this happening, <laughs> I guess. But uh, on to the trivia. Uh, now, when the movie came out, it rightfully so received mixed reviews and is famous for being, quote, a marketing nightmare. As for aforementioned reasons, because it released less than five months after the Challenger accident on January 28, 1986. Although they did finish filming before it happened, you know, you don't release it after that. You have to hold it, you have to sit on it for a bit before you can release it because of the content. Understandable, because literally what happens in this movie is almost is eerily similar to the accident that cost the lives of the Challenger crew. Uh, and halted the space program for years. Uh, but at the time of release, many thought the movie was trying to capitalize on the tragedy and should never have been released. Uh, however, those associated with the movie disagreed and said and added that they had taken extra care to avoid any appearance of exploiting a national tragedy. However, the last shot of this film is actual footage of one of the shuttles landing at night. The first time a space shuttle ever landed on a return trip from uh, space at night. And the shuttle that they show at the end of the movie, you guessed it, is actually the Challenger shuttle, the same one that would explode a few missions later. And also, there is no, like just like I mentioned on Twilight Zone, the movie, there is no dedication or anything, any recognition uh, of the disaster or anything like that in the credits of the film. Did it need it? I mean... uh, I think it would have been, you know, to to release five months after and to be eerily similar. I think it should have said something, just like you know, this film is dedicated to the brave crew. You just just something to say, like, hey, because this is a kids' movie. And guess who was most? Of, uh, I mean, you know, what demographic who was not directly involved, related to people involved in the tragedy that was most affected by the Challenger disaster were the millions of school kids in the country who watched it happen live, and that was. You know, for our generation, that was the first, you know, unfortunately followed by too many others. Uh, But anyway, so yeah. And then like the Challenger accident, the malfunction in the film involved a solid rocket booster, 
Uh, the script was later adapted into a novel, however, which did include references to the Challenger explosion and some of the kids' decisions to attend space camp in the wake of the tragedy, which I guess that would have been a little more pro-pro at least because you're, again, you're acknowledging it. What happened? I don't know. I mean, it's a very, it's one of those things I'm glad I didn't have decisions involved with because, you know, you got to look at it from the the filmmakers in like, hey, we got a movie here we worked hard on. It was before. We want people to see it, but maybe they should have sat on it just a little longer, maybe, uh, just to give it a little more time. Uh, the interior of the space show Atlantis was filmed in the Atlantis simulator at the real space camp in Huntsville. Uh, the film, it was originally supposed to take three months to shoot. However, it fell 10 days behind schedule on the first day of shooting, which I don't understand how that happens. How do you fall 10 days behind on the first day? I, I, did they did, did the first day of shooting take place ten days after that when it, when it was supposed to? I don't know. That's how it's worded. You be the judge. Uh, it wound up taking six months together to finish complete uh, to finish the film. Again, they were supposed to take three. In earlier, and this is crazy. In earlier drafts of the script, a Russian shuttle was sent up to rescue the American kids. And at the end of the film, it was revealed that Russian kids had rescued the American kids. Now, uh, let me, let's, let's be honest here. There is no way, there is no way in hell, in any multiversal reality, in 1980s America, that our sworn enemies, the Russians, would have saved the day in any capacity. Because, I mean, this is 86, so what, Red Dawn was, uh, you know, around the same time. Ruskies, you know, every Schwarzenegger, uh, Stallone movie, you know. Rambo two with the Russians, Rambo three with the Russians. You know the eighties were the villain in the Russian. Uh, uh, excuse me, no, in the eighties the Russians were the villain. You need a villain in the eighties? It was the Russians. Post nine eleven, it was anybody of Middle Eastern descent. You know that, that's that's how the world works, unfortunately. And we're just you know we're kind of stuck living in it. Uh, it was partially filmed at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama, which is home to the first and the last remaining space camp programs. So if you want to go to space camp today, the only place in the country to go is the first one, which was in Huntsville, Alabama, just shy of the Tennessee border as Jesse helped educate me mm-hmm. off the air. Uh, when Andy leads the, the kids into the building, the space shuttle simulator is named the right stuff, uh, which was a movie starring, you know, my cinematic father, Ed Harris, uh, in 1983, but it's also a reference to the book by Tom Wolfe. Uh, which the movie's based off. And the right stuff is also an award given uh, at space camp to those campers who demonstrate, quote, leadership and sound decision-making and the seeking and sharing of knowledge, which I'm glad they give that award to these kids at space camp because nobody involved in the decision to launch the Challenger had any of those things. Again, watch the documentary. It'll make you so mad. It was launched, you know, it was greed that got those people killed. Uh Watch the documentary. It's really good. Uh, in 2016, in honor of the film's 30th anniversary, uh, the U.S. Space and Rocket Center inducted the film's cast into the Space Camp Hall of Fame. Yay. Uh, in January of la- uh, sorry, 2020, not last year, year before last, Disney announced that a remake was in the works for their streaming service. But hey, oh yeah, January 2020, uh, a couple months later, things get delayed. Uh, they... Uh, it says Mikey Day and Streeter Sidell have signed on to write the script and it will be produced by Walt Disney Pictures. Oh, oh okay. No. We'll see. <laughs> now, about the real space camp, because I was curious about this myself. So I figured, oh, this will be a great little uh, truthful section of the podcast. 
Uh, Space Camp is an educational camp in Huntsville, Alabama, and it is on the grounds of the U.S. Space and Rocket Center Museum near NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center. Uh, It provides residential and educational programs for children and adults on themes such as space exploration, aviation, and robotics. The camp is run by a state state government agency, the Alabama Space Science Exhibit Commission, or ASEC. Uh, more than 900,000 campers have graduated since 82, including several who have actually become astronauts. And they did have a space camp in Florida, which ran from 98 to 20, 2002, and California from 96 to 2002. Both of those shut down in 2002 because nobody wanted to go to space camp anymore. Not sure why. Uh, let's see, 2001 was a big year for America. So, yeah, 2002, people maybe didn't want to. I don't know. I'm not sure the relation there, but it has to be some correlation between 9/11 and Space Camp. Uh, I'm sure it's there. Uh, I'm not. A, I'm not a 9/11 truther, but there has to be a connection. Uh, it was founded in '82 as an educational camp using the uh, space program as a basis to promote math and science to children. And the idea, the like, the actual implementation of the, of the idea was an, actually the result of a comment by rocket scientist Werner von Braun, who was touring the U.S. Space, at Ro- space and Rocket Center in '77 when he saw school children who were studying it and said to the museum director, you know, we have all these camps for youngsters in this country. Oh, wait, maybe he's not, because he says this country. Maybe I assumed he was German based on his name. My <laughs> apologies to Dr. Von Braun. Uh, so he actually said, you know, we have all these camps for youngsters in this country, band camps and cheerleader camps and football camps. Why don't we have a space camp? <laughs> Good idea. And thus, Space Camp came into existence. And if you're curious about it, it is a six-day program offered for children between 9 and 11. (gasps) Years old. They do have the advanced Space Camp for 15 to 18-year-olds. And the curriculum is designed to balance education and entertainment. Children enrolling in Space Camp can choose from one of three tracks of activities and study, which are space, aviation, and robotics. And some notable attendees, graduates of Space Camp. Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, uh, Bruce Springsteen's children went to space camp, and Chelsea Clinton is a former space camp graduate, emeritus, alumnus, whatever those words mean, magna cum laude, whatever that means. So score-wise, as a kid, like I said, I absolutely love this movie, Star Wars and and 1980s Kate Capshaw. I was on board. Uh, However, you know, so... Back then, you know, young Trey would be like, oh, this movie's great. It's like a 10. It's a 9. I love it. It's like better. It's as good as Star Wars. Not really, but you get my drift. Uh, but watching it today, I give it a 6. It's not terrible. It's a, I mean, again, it is a 80s kids movie. Again, along the lines of stuff, you know, uh, un- such un- unrealistic, unbelievable fare, like, you know, Fly the Navigator, Short Circuit, Red Dawn, even, you know, these exaggerated circumstances where 80s kids are thrown into this situation. You know, oh, we have 80, we've had 80s kids fight the Russians. We've had 80 kids, 80s kids find pirate treasure. Uh, let's send them to space. You know, it's literally, you know, it's, it's just like everything. Eventually, every franchise goes to space. So the 80s kids in peril eventually made it to space, too, in 1986 at the release of Space Camp. So there you go. Uh, and in the real world, again, it released June, June 6, 1986. On June 9th, strangely enough, three days after this movie that, you know, to some people took advantage of the Challenger disaster, on June 9th, the Rogers Commission released its report on the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. Uh, members of the commission included such prestigious astronauts as Neil Armstrong and Sally Ride. 
And the commission found that the immediate cause of the Challenger accident was a failure in the O-ring sealing off the aft fuel joint on the right solid rocket booster. And guess, you know what? In this movie, what's the rocket booster that Jinx causes to fail? <gasps> it's the right one. Hmm, imagine mm. that. Uh, anyway, caused pressurized hot gases and uh, eventual eventual flames to, quote, blow by the O-ring and con contact the adjacent external tank, causing structural failure. The failure of the O-rings was attributed to a design flaw as their performance could be too easily compromised by factors including the low temperature on the day of the launch, which is directly the reason why it happened and why they didn't delay the launch is infuriating. And again, if you watch those doc that documentary series on Netflix, which again, I highly, highly recommend for anybody curious about or wants to refresh it or get the facts. Uh, of the disaster, very good. Again, I can't say it enough how good that documentary is. Uh, goes over everything, right? The chain of command. It, it, it pretty much tells you exactly who fucked up when it came to the Challenger disaster. Uh, the report also strongly criticized the decision-making process that led to the launch of Challenger, saying it was seriously flawed. Gee, you think? Uh, Morton Thalkel, uh called a meeting the night before the launch to raise concerns over the forecast temperature in regards to the O-rings. During the meeting, uh, their engineers all issued a recommendation not to launch the shuttle below 53 degrees Fahrenheit. The previous lowest temperature of a launch, which was STS-51C a year earlier, uh, the NASA managers challenged this. And after a 30-minute offline caucus, Morton Thalkel's senior, manage senior management overruled the engineer's decision. Yeah, that's right. The office worker overruled the people who built the damn thing's decision and gave the launch a go-ahead. The concerns were not communicated beyond the Level 3 flight, flight readiness review, and it is certain, even though members of higher FRR teams knew about the issues, there were plenty of members who could have stopped the launch but decided not to. This was done in large part because of the management structure at NASA and the lack of major checks and balances, which proved to be 100% fatal in this scenario. So there's there's a documentary for you in a nutshell, I guess, with all that data. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's again, it's, it's it's so typical, you know. You, oh, you know, oh, you know, oh, I, I don't like talking about politics, blah blah blah. Well, apparently we do on this podcast because we we'll get to that in the review section. Uh, <laughs> blows my mind. But uh, anyway, you know, but you know, politics is in every everything. You know, what caused a challenger disaster? Politics. What caused some oversight uh, with John F. Kennedy, when he was going through Dallas, politics. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I don't, I don't want the bulletproof bubble on the car because I want people to see that president. Eh, kind of cost you your life and traumatized your wife, bro. You know, so uh, sometimes you know it's 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 more prudent to just leave the politics out of it and do what's safe for everybody involved. Because I would rather not launch on a Thursday and get to space than launch on a Tuesday and die in the cockpit as it plummets a mile from the stratosphere and plunges into the Atlantic Ocean. Because, yeah, if you didn't know that, they were alive the whole way down. And that's, to me, that is fucking terrifying. Uh, yeah, so, again, watch, it. <laughs> watch the damn documentary. It's so good. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, people did die on around the release date of this film. Uh, nobody notable enough to mention on this, on the, in relevance to this podcast. However, on June 11th, five days after Space Camp released, American actor, performance artist, and filmmaker, and now apparently disgraced actor, Shia LaBeouf was born. Uh, I don't really care for Shia LaBeouf personally as a human being. I think he's slime. Uh, however, uh, what was that movie? Peanut Butter Falcon a couple years ago? Yeah. Props, bro. 
Yeah. That movie was great, and he was great in it. Uh, Transformers, not so much. Also uh, made that else he was in. Uh, Honey Boy or whatever. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see that one. I don't remember hearing about it, but I never caught that one. It's worth a watch. I think. I mean, it's not his life, is isn't better. it? It's kind of autobiographical. Or autobiographical. Yeah, and that's what makes it stands out a lo- stand out a little more. He also wrote it, but um, hmm. yeah, it's worth a watch. Hmm. I will give it a shot. Uh, back to the future this week, as Jesse mentioned last week, he saw Uncharted, and now <laughs> I have two. Right. Uh, I guess uh, my honest, I'll be on, perfectly honest. If it if it was called anything but Uncharted. I'm fine with it. Yeah. You know, to be perfectly honest, uh, Tom Holland is a fine actor, but <laughs> to me, he's very, he, he's Elijah Wood to me. And in, I just, I just, I just always see a little, a little kid. Like Elijah Wood is the creepiest looking 12 year old I've ever seen. Like he's balding and has this terrible mustache, but he still looks like, I don't know. He still looks like a little kid to me. I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, and Tom Holland, you know, I mean, he's still young. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but it's, let's be honest, this is a very Spider-Man type role. He even does the Spider-Man pose at one point when he's climbing up the other things, you know? Uh, but I'll be honest, you know, I'm, I'm not Mark Wahlberg's biggest fan. I think, uh, you know, I'm kind of coming around on Wahlberg person as a person because of things he's done recently, despite the fact that as a kid, he was a little hoodlum. Uh, but, uh, honestly, I, again, if this was just called, you know, a national treasure prequel or, or just not meant to be tied to the Uncharted license because of the expectations that brings yeah. with the uh, Nathan Drake character and how we know Sully, you know, you know, from the games and everything. Mm-hmm. I've been fine. You know, that's the problem with the movie. The whole time I'm watching, I'm like, God, I wish Nathan Fillion was here <laughs> or I wish, you know, I wish this was a little more Uncharted-esque. Yeah. Uh but if you took away, you know, shoehorning it into the franchise or making it uncharted, I'd have been fine with it. Like, you know, it's just fine. You know, it's very fast and the furious. Uh, <laughs> if you kind of get my drift on that, you know, uh, and it, it didn't make me realize one thing, you know, things that are cool in a video game, like hanging out the back of an airplane with the uh, luggage and all that, like you do in Uncharted 3. Mm-hmm. And then the, 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 the end was ridiculous. Yeah. But it's a video game movie, you know, so exactly. however, it made me realize like, okay, these pirate ships, uh, they should have just fallen apart. flying in the air. <laughs> yeah. Literally, exactly, you know, <laughs> that, that was just, you know, if they would have like just put them in the ocean or sailed them out, I'd have been fine with it. And again, I, I'm, I'm nitpicking here, but it was, I was just like, okay, this is why vi- vi- like this is a, in a video game, I'd be having the time of my life in this fight. But watching it in a movie in the end with the pirate ships flying, I was like, this is ridiculous. This is just really silly to me. <laughs> but again, it's a big, I'm, I'm really nitpicking. Uh, but overall, like, I didn't think it was bad. Uh, I think uh, uh, Holland and uh, Wahlberg, I think, I think they actually have pretty good chemistry I thought, together. I think they're a good team. Uh, I just wish, again, I wish it wasn't called Uncharted because right. I think the Too perfect casting for that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know. But uh, when you take that out of it, it's a fine. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a popcorn movie. I'm fine yeah. with it. Uh, but I just I think thought it, the, it is a the pirate ship part was the most video game like of it though. Like yeah, absolutely. If you were playing it, it would have been fun to play. Yeah, you'd be like, damn, whoa! 
like it, yeah. it was like it fits in the video game universe Uncharted, mm-hmm. but seeing it in a movie, it just didn't feel. It, it felt like this is a little this is a little much, at this point to me. But you know, like I've already said, so I don't repeat myself for the twenty millionth time like I tend to do sometimes. <laughs> I've already said my opinion of it, but uh, obviously, they may, if they make another one, would I be excited for it? No. Would I want to see it? Yeah, sure. You know, I'll be up for I'll be up for seeing it again or oh, seeing another one. Uh, but I think they could have done better in terms of Uncharted, yeah. the the video game franchise, I should say. But uh, also, a uh, lot of things have come out since we last recorded. Unfortunately, I, I would love to sit here and say I saw Top Gun Maverick, but I haven't. So shame on me. I know, I know. Tom Cruise's biggest movie opening ever, and I was un- was unable to contribute contribute to it. <laughs> um, but I hope to remedy that soon. However, it was also big on the home screens because we had Stranger Things season four debut, which Jesse hasn't started that yet. I've only seen the first two episodes. We'll talk about that when we were all caught up on it. Uh, but Obi-Wan came out as well. Jesse, were you able to catch Obi-Wan? I have not. Okay, no, I won't spoil anything, but <laughs> it's it's the best Star Wars show so far. Uh, Sweet. Uh, 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 the, it, it, I can't. We have two seasons of The Mandalorian, so I I can't really say that. Let me take. Let me step back a bit. It is really good so far, and I hope it can keep this pace. It's only six episodes, which is a bummer, you know, uh, because in my opinion, as I you know, uh, I can't say as a Star Wars fan because Star Wars has very toxic fandom, like these days, like most everything else. Uh, but you know, I never wanted to see a Han Solo movie. I didn't want to know what he did. Before I see Harrison Ford sitting in the Mos Eisley Cantina, that is the introduction. That's all we need to know. Everything else is a mystery. It works better for the character. Yeah. However, ever since the prequels, I've wanted more Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan because he he's the best part of the prequels. Is young Obi Wan, and we're finally getting it. And um, you know, the Mandalorian he keeps his helmet on, so not saying. Uh, I forget his name, the the actor that plays him. I can see his face. He's in the new Nicolas Cage movie in Game of Thrones. Oh, man. I, nah, I can't think of it right now. But um, when but you know, Hugh McGregor is such a good actor. And you can tell that he's bringing his A-game to this, to Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just, you know, when he's... It's in the trailer, so this isn't a spoiler. When he sees, you know, he's watching over Luke, when he sees Luke and he's... The little uh, very slight but good references to the OG trilogy uh, so far, uh, and where the show goes. It, it, the show goes where I didn't think it was going to go. In the just in the first episode, in the second episode, like you know how how are they doing this? Uh, and it, it's a good uh, it's a good balance. Uh, the whole everything with Owen. I mean, uh, Joel Egerton's character, uh, Uncle Owen, and Obi Wan. Like they do a good job of giving valid reasons. As to why in episode four, Uncle Owen's like, you don't need to go talk to that guy. He's a crazy hermit. He's probably dead. Like you, like character motivations are true in this in this movie uh, show. So far, so far. Uh, so, uh, but again, two episodes in. Well, actually, a third episode came out today, I believe. So we're watching that tonight, and then checking out more Stranger Things. But Obi Wan, I'm loving it so far. It's it's a it, it feels like a, a great bridge between. The prequels and uh, I say a bridge, but a, a good, you know, uh, middle that that period between the prequels and epi- or but the, the period between episode three 
and episode four, uh, which of course the Clone Wars took place all during, you know, between episode two and three. And, you know, uh, there are stuff in that era, but that's the era I think is really ripe for the right property. And I think Obi-Wan's one of those, even though, oh, you said it's Solo, you know, why even make Solo with Chewbacca? Because you know they're not going to die. Well, yeah, we know that's not going to happen, but there's more to tell. Like, Obi-Wan's already been fleshed out in the Clone Wars. Like, there's more to tell there for Obi-Wan that we want to know. Well, I, again, I should say I, because in my, the, my view of the Star Wars fandom, I want to know more about Obi-Wan, what he did, because he's one of my favorite Star Wars characters. Han Solo is too, but it works better that we don't know all the bullshit reasons he became a smuggler. <laughs> and yet, and based on the Solo movie, he never really became a smuggler because apparently his first job is Job of the Hutt's thing, and he dumps his cargo, as we know, in episode four. So he's not even a good smuggler. It makes him look like a wish version of Han Solo compared to the memory. In rant, sorry. Won't bring it up again. <sighs> Until the next time we talk about Star Wars. But uh, moving on to other things that, okay, Uncharted movie, didn't mind it. Like I said, it's fine. Uh, Obi-Wan, great. Stranger Things so far, great. But, you know, the universe must be balanced. Perfectly balanced as all things should be. And uh, the yang to that yin of all this great stuff that I've seen, good and, good and great stuff, is the bad. And the bad this week that I saw the past week was a film called Morbius. And, uh... Fuck, it sucks. Here we go. It's terrible. <laughs> it's it's terrible. Like, it is, it is, you know... I don't if you want to if you want to see it you should absolutely see it. And if you like it, hey, that's great. I think Van Damme Street Fighter is a cinematic masterpiece that should be shown in the temple 24 hours a day. Not everybody agrees with that and I understand that. But I cannot fathom people liking Morbius. It's slow. The CG is terrible. Jared Leto is so pretentious as this character that nobody wanted to have their own movie. If anything, he should have been a side character in a Spider-Man movie where he belongs. Uh, it's just like, hey, we got Leto wants to be in a MCU movie. Who, what do we got for Leto? And they're like, uh, we don't want to give him anybody good. Yeah, uh, Morbius? He'll take it. <laughs> and whew, God, it's terrible. Matt Smith is the villain. Which, uh, uh, if, you, if you've ever seen a movie that's not a spoiler because... This this is such a this is such a a film by the numbers movie. For example, uh, for some reason we have to have Morbius as a kid to explain that he meets a friend in the orphanage and he saves him, and they both have the same blood disease or whatever. And then they have to say, oh, always be your friend, man. And Morbius goes away to graduate as a super physicist, and the other kid becomes some rich millionaire, billionaire. I don't know. They don't even explain it. And guess what happens? There's no way that these childhood friends are going to be worst enemies. And there's no way that Morbius is going to become a human vampire. And his friend with the same disease who just wants to be cured is not going to become a supervillain. <laughs> of course there is. That's exactly what happens. It is so, we're watching, I'm just like, this is going like, to happen. And it's also, this is one of those movies, and again, I am not tooting my own horn, but I toot toot, because a lot of people, I'm sure, do this, uh, when you're watching something, it happens to Obi-Wan too in Stranger Things. You know, it's that typical movie moment where it's like, uh, okay, this is, the, this is the actual, okay, this is the scene that we're watching. Uh, uh, let, me think of a, let me just think of an example real quick. Uh, I always knew you'd be there for me. 
Oh, no, that's a, it's a, well, okay. Let me, I can't think of one offhand to do, to be funny with. So let me just explain it because that'll <laughs> just be better. It's those typical scenes in a movie where um, they say something like, yep. Uh, God, I, I get so, it happens all the time, but it's one of those things I'm on the spot. So I can't think of a valid example. <laughs> God damn it. But it's like, uh, you'll never have to thank me. But I, I, I Oh God, my brain is so flustered right now because I can't think of an. I'm trying to think of. It was just in the episode of Stranger Things we watched last night. And I can't think of what was said, but you know, you get what I'm. Hopefully, you get what I'm very badly trying to say, and that is simply that uh, it's a scene in a movie where a character says something, and the protagonist is like, they say exactly word for word what you think they're going to say in response, and it, it happens exactly how you see it in your mind. God damn it. I'm going to have to write an example down because I can't think of any. This is really bugging me. Seriously, I'm like, I'm ticked off. I can't think of an example because I've literally seen like 10 of them in the past uh, four things that I've watched. But hopefully you get what I'm saying. But that is every line of Morbius. You know, uh, looks like he's dead. Dead, tired. Or, you know, I mean, just you, it, it's that kind of situation. I'm ba- again, I'm badly explaining it. Hopefully somebody understands what I'm saying. Uh, but it's, it's, again, it is a film by the numbers piece of shit. It's, it's terrible. There's, I, you know, I love deadly prey. I love hard ticket to Hawaii. You know, there's, there is good nuggets in those pieces of shit, so to speak, uh, to where they, they, they're no longer shit. They're amazing. Morbius is guano. It's a big pile of guano. And you know what guano is? It's toxic. Stay away from it. And again, if you want to see every superhero movie, you should see it just so you can say you've seen it and you understand how terrible it is. But by God, I've seen some people just be prepared to die on the hill that it's a good movie. <laughs> just That just makes me sad for our future. But anyway, okay, let me calm myself down. We've got a couple of emails to read. One from our good friend Tom, Tom Strickland, talking about show 270. Uh, happy Memorial. He, he goes on. He, yeah, let, me, let me slow down. You know what? Let me, let me just take a sip of delicious alkaline ionized water. <laughs> who is not a sponsor of this podcast. Oh, no, that's a brand. <laughs> that's just a type of it. It's right. actually Kirkland's, which means I uh, got it at Costco. Yep, Kirkland's signature. Because I, I get heartburn a lot. So alkaline water, like we make our coffee with it, tends to help uh, reduce some heartburn for me. But uh, anyway, Tom goes on to say, happy Memorial Day weekend, folks. Uh, great show, but as someone who is new to rating podcasts, where do I go to give you well-deserved stars? Well, that depends, uh, Tom, on where you're listening to us at. If it's on iTunes, um, I'm not sure where you. Again, I think even if sure you're not you're listening, listening to it, even if you're not listening on i on I'm sorry on Apple Podcasts, they call it now. Oh, that's um, true. Yeah, it's not. You can still leave a review there. If I mean, it's the most popular place, and if you um, if you type in. Apple Podcast 80s Revisited just on Google. It's the first thing that comes up. Um, and we didn't even have to pay for that. Number yeah. one spot, baby. <laughs> well, yeah. For our very non-specifically named podcast. And then as far as, I mean, that's how you bring it up here. And then I got to say, I'm probably pretty lost on where it comes up after that. Uh, for me, I, I'm, I'm working on a Mac, so I actually have the, the podcast app. I'm hoping it's not going to play right now. It might. Don't play. Don't play. But um, I'm pretty sure you could leave a review here. Yeah, write a review is located on the uh, on the app itself, Apple Podcasts. So maybe on your smart device if you're using 
the iPhone, that might actually have a way to do it there. If you're not, um, I don't know if Apple Podcasts has apps available somewhere else. But yeah, I, don't know. I see it here on mine. But hey, if you can't figure it out, Tom, no problem, man. You're giving us good content to read on the air. So just keep listening. If you can't figure it out, just keep listening. Keep writing. Uh, but he goes on to say, uh, Streets of Fire was a huge hit on the ship. Because if y'all remember, Tom is the uh, plane puller, uh, former Navy guy, if I remember correctly. I think it was the Navy, wasn't it, Tom? <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, but he says, uh, Streets of Fire was a huge hit on the ship I was on and played it on a, on a loop on one of the CCTV channels we had when it first showed up on the board. Pretty damn awesome. Uh, well, one of my favorite supporting actors is Joanne Boland, who I could have sworn played McCoy in Streets of Fire, but looks like I was wrong. The driver was played by Amy Madigan. Get to the point, Tom. That's him, not me. That's Tom telling himself <laughs> to get to the point. I would never say something to something you know like that to a valued listener. Uh, anyway, just kidding. Uh, I would totally say that to anybody who deserved it. Not you, Tom. You're great. Uh, well, Joe Boland plays the same type of driver in the 2005 zombie film Land of the Dead, which brings us into the 80s zombies movies that we had a choice of, the kind of zombies you like. There was the George A. Romero's 85 Day of the Dead, which followed the rules of 69's Night of the Living Dead, and Dawn of the Dead, ruled slow-moving, non-thinking, eats everything zombies. Uh, now, if you, ever no- if, you, if you never noticed, another group of zombie movies came out. Uh... Now, actually, let me let me reword that a little bit. Now, if you notice, another group of zombie movies came out. Their rules were different, and that was the Return of the Living Dead in '85, and Return of the Living Dead Part Two in '88. And then they had three and four. Three was a, uh, I think, directed video, and then the other ones were like TV movies on sci-fi. I think there's like five or four in that series, actually. These movies were the eating and calling out for brains came in. These zombies only ate brains, but still bites as an attacking method. These zombies were the start of the fast moving and running, thinking, talking, using tools, and later films had a leadership structure and could drive vehicles. Uh, now for the fun facts, you're more than welcome to use if you never did the difference between these two. We did do Return of the Living Dead, uh, and we did Dawn of the Dead. Uh, actually, that was Dawn of the Dead. Seemed, no, wait, no, I'm sorry, not Dawn, Day of the Dead. Uh, like not too long ago, it seems like, but hey, what's time? To me, I'm the worst person to talk about the passage of time because, oh, yeah, it was just like two weeks ago, wasn't it, Trey? That was 14 years ago. <laughs> My God. Uh, but Tom goes on to just say uh, on this zombie fun tangent, uh, two, two fun facts. The first, George A. Romero never trademarked the term living dead because after sitting down and thinking about the name and trademarking, he didn't think about it because he really loved the idea of calling them flesh eaters. And for a while, that was the name, but had to rush and change it to the living dead because there was a flesh eaters that came out during that time. Uh, and he goes on to say the other fun fact that he gives us is uh, now after the release of both Return of the Living Dead movies, the video releases and video sales, guess where the producers made the most money off these movies? The producers of the 94 interview with the vampire contacted them because they heard there was still a warehouse of tombstones and other graveyard props. So when you watch the graveyard scene when Tom Cruise bites and turns Brad Pitt to all those uh, in the va- uh, to a vampire in an interview with a vampire, all those items from the graveyard came from the Return of the Living Dead movie. Now that I did not know, and that's pretty damn awesome. Uh, now you're asking where can I find that info? Watch the movies with the director's comments on. You get some great trivia and fun facts. Have a great week, Tom. Absolutely. Uh, every movie that I buy, I watch the director's commentary. Uh, that's one of the things I think they need to add on streaming services because 90% of these movies, oh, well, I say 90%, but you know, if there's a physical release for a movie, uh, there's you know, most of them, some movies still come out bare bones without anything added to them. Uh, but director's commentaries are some of the most fun. I mean, they're boring ones. Don't get me wrong. Arnold Schwarzenegger, you think it'd be a fun commentary, but the ones I've heard with him, he just basically explains what you're watching on the movie. Like, oh, this is the part why I watch. I got to swing the sword. I knock him off the horse. I knock him off the horse. Then I pull out my gun. I'm going to shoot this guy. It's great. Jim Cameron, great director. 
uh, it's you know it's still it's still fun, but it's like talk more about like the stuff that we don't see, Arnold. <laughs> uh, like for example, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell commentaries when they're on it together. Some of the best commentaries you over here. Uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, their commentaries are great. Mm-hmm. They tend to end a little early. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, they're still really funny. Uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. did a commentary in character for the Tropic Thunder DVD Blu-ray. Uh, you know, so yeah, but all these, you know, on Netflix, why, you know, we have the option for Chinese, uh, audio, uh, Spanish audio, French audio, uh, all sorts of these other options. They're neat. They need to add the option for on these streaming services for the commentaries. Is there a commentary track? Some movies have multiple commentaries and the only way to get a commentary track on a film these days is, well, you know, our matey or, you know, you have to buy that movie and, you know, not, you know, I would, if I watch a movie, I would, wa- I would watch it and like, oh, that was pretty, you know, Uncharted. I would watch that with director's commentary just to kind of see, hear their perspective on what they were doing. But I'm not going to go buy that movie forever, physically, to take up space in my house just for the commentary, if you get what I'm saying. So streaming services need to get on the commentary boat. Uh, and the first one that does it is going to get totally praised for it. And then all the other ones are going to follow suit. So, uh, thanks, Tom. Uh, of course, you know, uh, we did, like I said, if you haven't yet, go check out our Day of the Dead episode. And we did do Return to the Living Dead. I think we did, we've done one and two, actually, hmm. I think. So, uh, check those out if you haven't. And then, our, of course, our good friend, Ben Wyatt, the Tasmanian devil himself, sent us two quick emails. Uh, the first one, uh, hey, guys, about Streets of Fire. Hey, guys, just a quickie this week. I've only seen Streets of Fire once, and it didn't leave a huge impression on me other than Diane Lane was as beautiful then as she still is today. Goddamn right, my friend. Uh, even in the Batman movie, they had to, quote, age her up, and she still looked great. Absolutely. Uh, have you guys seen Unfaithful? Holy fuck, what a film. Anyway, back to looking at pictures of Diane Lane. Talk later. Uh, Unfaithful, yep. Uh, great little film. I say little film. I mean, no films are little unless they're independent. But uh, that's the one. Who's in that with her? Uh, Richard Gere. I want to... Uh, that's my first guess. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you have it up. Yeah, Richard Gere. Because uh, I remember the cover of it. I was like, who's on the cover with her? Actually, it's just her on the cover. Never mind. <laughs> I'm thinking of a different Richard Gere movie. Uh, but yeah, Diane Lane. Always love to see Miss Diane Lane. Uh, underrated. An underrated, like, you know, I think she's pre- you know she's well-received for her acting ability. But I mean, gore- I mean, just gorgeous, gorgeous actress. And then another quickie. That he sent uh, two days ago. He says, hey, guys, another quick email here. Jesse wondered why, to answer your question about Bret Hart uh, last week, Jesse, wondered why WWF would allow the Hitman Hart documentary to be released. And I believe what happened was that Eric Bischoff, aha, offered Mm. to use Ted Turner's money to pay the documentary legal fees if they got exclusive rights to show it as a uh, pay-per-view on the Turner Network and then use it as a hit piece on the WWF. Also, uh, Ben goes on to say he really enjoyed Diane. Oh, sorry. Jesse's Horizon Zero Dawn story and P.S. Diane Lane is hot. Yep, that might need to be our new sign-off for the podcast. Diane Lane is cowabunga and Diane Lane is hot. So there's our emails for the week. Much appreciated. Always like to hear from y'all, good or bad. Uh, Speaking of bad, we got another review. I'd like to read it real quick and it won't take long because it's a quick review. Uh, New review. Two stars. Mm -hmm. Try to listen Dash had potential, so Jesse, we had potential. Mm. We could have been a contender. So close. Uh, let's see. UFMWC, the Apple Podcast, goes on to say, tried to give this show a legit shot, but the main host, 
me, can't resist injecting his quote. Um, this is my quote. Um, this, I'm reading this verbatim. Whack progressive takes, which is a major turnoff. End mm. of review. Hey, at least he gave us two stars instead of one. So not only are we a woke podcast, we are a whack progressive podcast. <laughs> Who knew? Now, now, hey, look, everybody, ha- look, this country is so politicized right now. It's it's scary how right. far the political parties are separated right now in their extreme ideals to where no matter what anybody does on one side, it is shunned and considered stupid on the other side. And then four years later, it's exact opposite. You know, like, I mean, come on. Like, well, and then you, when you call them on the facts and oh, oh, oh hey, we are talking about politics for like two minutes. Now. Well, it's going to be longer than two minutes. So just so you know, if you don't like hearing somebody give a logical, emotional opinion on something, you can go ahead and turn off the podcast. We'll see you next week. Uh, so you don't have to leave a bad review for something we talk about that's not related to the movies half the time. <laughs> uh, but anyway, hey, you know, not complaining. I like this stuff. It's fun to talk about it because hopefully this person left the review and then is listening today so they can hear our response or my response. I would never speak for Jesse. He's fully capable of that and smarter than I am. But uh, anyway, you know, when we talk about stuff here on the podcast, whatever issue it is, we're going to be talking about issues on the next two episodes, which I'll get to in just a moment. Uh, I like to think that we come at it from a very realistic, logical, although it may be a little idealistic as what it should be. Uh, I'd say this podcast is me and I, I, I will kind of speak for you a little bit, Jesse, uh, just talking about our podcast. Mm-hmm. I'd say that this podcast as a whole is an ideal realist in terms of perspective. We have lofty ideals about what we hope and what we really wish that this country and people, just people, just people in general would be like, you know, not caring who somebody's screwing in their bedroom. That's none of your goddamn mm-hmm. business. It, whether a person's color dictates what they can do. That's that is whack. Mm-hmm. Uh, believing that everybody should have an equal and equitable chance at living in America and living their dreams and living their lives is not whack. Uh, let's mm-hmm. and if you think it is, I, well, we'll have to respectfully disagree on that because you need to go back and read the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. You know, people always and I'm I'm not picking on the right. But the right is very loud and squeaky right now, if you get my reference. So they're getting a lot of the grease. And by right, if you're, if you're, if you're an actual moderate, I'm not talking about you. I'm yeah. talking about the people on the far, far right that want to do such things. And again, this is the opinion of me. You re- do something, take a step backwards and repeal Roe versus Wade. Uh, as an example, we're not going to go into that. This is not a political podcast, even though pe- apparently the latest reviews want to make it one. Of course, we will give our views. And if you disagree with them, again, that is fine. If you want to talk about them, let's talk about them. If, if you want to, you know, you want to leave a review, that's fine. Uh, thank you. Thank you, uh, UFMWC, for explo- you know, leaving why. I'm sorry that, you know, the, the 99% of the podcast was fine and had potential, but the 1% was not, you know, turn it off. You know, enjoy and listen to the parts you like and turn it off. But getting back to what I'm trying to say here before getting too long-winded <laughs> like I always do. I can't help it. I, that's, that's a negative trait I inherited from my parents. Uh, they just like – they're talkers. That's all I mean by that. I'm not talking shit about my parents. I love my parents to death uh, 90% of the time, although we disagree on politics. <laughs> anyway. 
what I'm getting at is, is that I, I would like, I, I believe that what, that when we do quote unquote, get political, when we get woke as we've been called or put whack progressive as we're now also known as, I take that, first of all, I take that as, uh, as, as, as yes, if that's what you want to call us, that's exactly what we are. Uh, because let's not confuse, you know, the, the far left woke with the actual kind of meaning and the meaning of that, you know, what that originally meant, you know, now it's an, oh, you, you know, the right like to call people sheep and woke, you know, and then the left likes to call them gun nuts and which, no, like a lot of them kind of are, let's be honest, uh, in evangelicals, you know, like here's, here's a perfect example. Well, I'm getting, I'm getting too far off base. Let me, let me not go there. Because uh, again, this is not a political podcast. But uh, you know, the stance of this podcast, and Jesse, please, as always, if I say something that is not aligned with you, please speak up and just let us know. Let everybody know. But I, I think me and Jesse are pretty much in line in that when we say when we do get political on here, quote unquote, it is merely to stress that the 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 true ideal that people are people, and a lot of what people do. Other than you, I'm not talking about, you know, what they do when they walk into a school with legally obtained firearms at 18 and murder children. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, let's not confuse the point here because that's where people tend to go, you know, to extremes. I'm not going to extremes. I'm talking about things that should not even be in the, the sphere of discussion, such as sexuality, race, in terms of in terms of negative. I mean, we should have conversations about these things, but not in terms of politicizing them for gain or as a derogatory thing is what I'm getting at. You know, we, we Roe versus Wade was passed years ago. It's been fine, but why, you know, why are, why is our government, you know, why is the Republican party at the mercy of evangelicals? Uh, that's what I'm kind of getting, you know, I, I'm already off track. Cause I, I my mind just, uh, I apologize. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be succinct here, but my mind just goes to different topics that I'm passionate about, and it makes me mad that people just can't, you know, understand. Uh, I guess that, well, here's okay. Here's what I'm trying to say. Bottom line is, this podcast speaks for for fairness, equity, equality, and stresses that for all people. You know, mm-hmm. uh, not that we have a chat room or anything like that. You know, I mean, we don't. If we say something incorrect, or if I use a slang term, like for, like here's an example. Uh, we talked about it before, like expressions that you shouldn't say anymore like peanut gallery or I'm going to have to crack the whip at work. Cause these people just ain't working. Yeah. yeah. You don't say that anymore. In fact, I was playing evil dead just to give you a, a fun, a, 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 I would, I considered a funny aside. Uh, I was playing evil dead, the game with my headset on so I can hear the sound, but it's where the mic is. So I'm, I'm talking and violets in the room on her table. And, uh, at the end of the level, you have to stop the dark ones in the context of the evil dead. But now, but as I'm sitting there, I'm like, get to the dark. We have to get to the dark ones. We have to take them out. Kill the dark ones. Quick, get them out of context. Listen to that. Right. If you get what I'm saying. So I was like, I, oh, Violet, I'm talking about these. Mon- I, had, I made sure my daughter understood what was being said there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Intent I'm talking matters. about. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the intent of what we say on this podcast is to stress the fact that everybody needs to understand that every, every person is, you know, everybody kind of thinks they're the star of their own, you're, you're, you're the star of your own life, but my movie doesn't include you. 
you know, if you get if you kind of get that analogy, it's kind of vague. Uh, you know, uh, everybody thinks they're the star of their own movie. Like everybody thinks they're in the Truman, their own Truman show, so to speak. I guess I don't know. Um, but the point is, is that you know, it doesn't matter. You know, there are there are, I'm there are listeners that listen to this podcast that are minorities. Uh, that have a different sexuality than me, that have a different religious point of view than me, that have a different political affiliation than me. Although obviously we're kind of weeding those out, which, yeah. hey, <laughs> well, the door hit you on the way out. Because yep. uh, bottom line is, if you think what we say on this show is, quote, whack, you uh, seriously, you, I mean, this is just like, this is me talking to you as a person, uh, anybody. Like, think about what we're saying and then think if you really, I mean, is it really whack to, for us not to legislate what women do with their bodies? Is that whack progressiveness? Because Roe versus Wade is still legal today, so we shouldn't be caring about that. Yeah, and you know we're just talking about America. I mean, worldwide, this is. I don't yeah. know. So many people are just like shaking their head at us. <laughs> I mean, you know, at we're supposed to be. Um, you know, Americans love to think that we're a king of the world. We're the village idiot mm-hmm. on the world stage, and if you think, oh, that's anti-American, look it up. Do a Google, excuse me, do a Google search. I can't tell you how many times since the uh, the tragedy in Texas that uh, I, you know, honestly, like I just needed not to read comments on like, <laughs> you know, local news sites and I need not to respond because, you know, you're not going to change anybody's mind with a Facebook post, uh, you know, but even it's really sad because when you post facts like, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's like it's Mythbusters. You know, I reject reality and substitute my own, which is a quote from an 80s movie. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's from a movie where he, uh, that Adam Savage is quoting right there. But uh, not to drone on too long about this because it does kind of kill the vibe. But it is important. And, you know, we have a platform here, whether it's five people, 10 people, 100 people that listen to this podcast. Uh, you know, some people are getting some information from it. People are out of the country. Uh, yeah, Dungeon Master, that's it. I, sh- I should have known that. I knew it was, I was going to say the Sorcerer or something, but it's the Dungeon Master is what that's from. In which uh, Richard Maul, Bull from Night Court, is the villain in the movie. Let's <laughs> uh, we'll add that to the list to do. Right. Not next week because we got something else coming up, which I'll get to in just a minute. But yeah, again, I'm not complaining that we got a bad review. I'm just kind of saying that if you really, if you really think what we're saying here on the podcast is whack, yeah, it isn't for you because we're talking, you know, we're just trying to talk about equity and equality. That's all we, that's all we want. That's all we, you know, there's an issue that comes up that, you know, where people are being mis- misfairly judged uh, as, you know, everybody's judging in a, in a different way, especially in this country because it's America. Reality TV where people are constantly judged in front of the nation is a thing. It's such a culture that we have, you know, and just, because, oh, yeah, America, Oh yeah, we're number one. Like yeah, we're number one in like gun deaths. We're number one in you know healthcare. You know, and it's, that's not you know. I don't know. I'm gonna get. It's getting too far into yeah. the. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I, I don't wind me up on politics because I got facts sure. at my fingers. Well, there's another controversy. Oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh, oh go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Let you talk for a minute. <laughs> I was just gonna say, there's another controversy around this podcast. Is that. You have been killing people, given oh, yeah. the episodes that have come out. Like, people have been dying because of these episodes. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, the, the creepy thing is, we talked about that after the Star Trek episode. Yeah. 
<laughs> I was it nervous continues. about it. Thinking, <laughs> I know. And then, and then, you know, I was expecting, you know, Shatner to kick the bucket. I, I, this is for, okay. Look, we're out of the political realm. This is now back to facetious mode. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So everybody understands that. Uh, but yeah, Ray Liotta passed out of nowhere. Just like, you know, mm-hmm. Ray Liotta is like, wait, what? Really? I'm like, I'm, I, the fir- my first thought was, oh my God, I killed Ray Liotta. <laughs> <laughs> Jokingly to my wife, because what did we just do on the podcast, everybody? Field of Dreams. Yeah. Ray Liotta, you know, uh, not that he ha- not that he has not been acting, but I mean, you know, when's the last time we, you know, you, you thought about him, except for maybe watching Goodfellas or seeing a meme, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? And we do him on the podcast, he passes away within a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's why when we were doing Star Trek, I was like, I swear to God, if some, if some, I, I was worried about Star Trek because, you know, George Takei, Walter uh, Koenig, yeah. uh, they're all up, way up there. And then, you know, Ray Liotta. I mean, come on. Like, yeah, seriously? In the 60s. That's mm. a, I mean, hey, in his sleep, uh, that's the last I've heard. You know, so there, there are worse ways to go. Nevertheless, still, uh, you know, thoughts, you know, thoughts and prayers. Uh, <laughs> and yes, I, I, I that, that was said with uh, an intent because... Uh, I will say this. I'm going to get political for one second. Like, I, this, this is real. People, the time for thoughts and prayers is over in this country. It is, uh, for example, with in Texas. I, of course, I live in Utah now, so I did the only thing that I can do, which so far, I should say, which is I wrote the two senators, one of being both Utah is a red state, so I'm sure it fell on deaf ears and probably got a good chuckle at the congressman and senator's offices when I sent the email. Just saying, hey, I would appreciate if you would, you know, as a constituent, I would appreciate if you would look into, you know, doing something about the gun violence in this country. Uh, and I'm having, I'm still looking for a charity that I know or is vetted to ben- actually benefit those affected uh, by the shooting in Texas to donate to. Haven't found just one just yet. If anybody knows one, uh, with some documentation that it's going directly to the uh, the victims' families and stuff like that, please pass it along. Let us send them what I can. Uh, so that's all, that, that's all I'm saying. You know, the po- you know, the post, the, the the sad news breaks over anything, and oh, my thoughts and prayers. Guess that your thoughts and prayers don't mean shit, people. That that's this, this is real talk. I don't care. You know what religion you are. Your thoughts and prayers they're meaningless. They are meaningless. You know what also also else is meaningless. Uh, celebrities and politicians too, not just celebrities. Uh, I'm not picking on Meghan Markle. She's just the one, the one that I saw. You know, she flew from Santa Barbara to Texas to put flowers down and to you know show her support. That's wanting to show support is fine, but the thousands of dollars that you spent to get there to lay down a hundred dollar bouquet of flowers that will die in a week mm-hmm. could have been better spent to help security at that school to go to the, to help fund the funerals, which an anonymous donor did offer to pay for all the funerals. That's amazing. Uh, stuff like that. So, you know, there, there are things that you can do no matter where you are in this world that are more effective than thoughts and prayers. And I say that if I had to identify my religion, I would say I am a Christian I'm not a Catholic. I'm not a Baptist. I'm not a, any, of, any of the other sects of Christianity. Uh, but if I had to align my ideals, that's what I would identify as. I'm not non-denominational. You know, I just believe in 
you know, be nice to people and you help when you can. Uh, and, you know, and this Texas shit really affected me. Like, seriously, like, uh, I mean, it should affect anybody, whether you have a kid or not. But I mean, my daughter, my daughter, Violet was, I was bouncing my daughter on my knee, scrolling, doing my work emails, switching over to Facebook. And then I see that. And it was, I mean, it's that, that's true horror. And you're, um, please, not that I'm thinking, you know, Joe Austin sitting in his golden tier jet listening to us right now. <laughs> but um, your thoughts and prayers don't mean anything. Your thoughts and prayers are for you. Your prayers are for your God. But your thoughts, you know, they, don't, that, they mean nothing to the victims. Get off your knees, unclench your hands, and do something. Now, I am not naive. The letters I sent to my congressmen and senators here in Utah are, are probably, were, honestly, were probably just as effective as thoughts and prayers. But that's all, that is, so that is something to do. That actually, you know, if every, if every, if, oh, if more people, if we just had more Jesus in schools, comments all over about the thing. No, Jesus is in schools. He's omniscient. So, yeah, he's there. That's not the problem. Uh, you know, so, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm, I, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's really, it's really, it's, it's so sad. Mm-hmm. You want to repeal Roe versus Wade to fight for the unborn. And then when they come out, you want to give them a bulletproof vest and say that, that we're done. You're born. We got you born. We got you here. There you go. You know, if you're if, put that passion of the unborn to the born. Yeah. Can't compete with the gun lobby in America. Uh, and oh, they're never going to take come my cold, dead hand. Like, uh, uh, OK, sorry, everybody. Sorry. Obviously, as you can tell, as I've said, it, this issue is, I've had enough of it as an American. Like, seriously, this is ridiculous. I have guns in my house. And one of them is a hunting rifle to where if I ever went hunting, I would use a hunting rifle, not an AR-15 to kill Bambi, and a handgun with a lock on it in my dresser out of my daughter's reach in case there is a Mormon home intrusion in my house. Again, I'm being facetious on the last part. <laughs> so, but you know what? Making having some stricter gun laws is not taking away your guns. They're not going to take away your guns. And I mean, come on, let's not let's not be fucking stupid. If if there is another civil war, which honestly seems more and more likely every day in this country because of how again going back to the political extremes that we have right now. Your, you know, AR-15 is not going to do anything against that tank or those soldiers, trained soldiers with their fully automatic machine guns. You're, 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 not, you're not Rambo, you know. So, again, I apologize. This, this did get really political. And I hope I, I, a lot of what I'm saying, honestly, is coming from my heart. Uh, if anybody out there, you know, if you disagree, that's, hey, let's talk about it. Uh, but I, I urge you that if you disagree that we should have not have stricter access, uh, just something to help prevent this. Because the bottom line is, everybody, if we prevent just one of these, I'm not naive enough to, to know it's, these are going to happen. But if we can pass just something that can stop one of these things from happening, it is worth it. 
And as our good friend Ben, the Tasmanian Devil, Wyatt sent uh, sent there was a mass shooting in Tasmania in the ninety. Uh, ben, uh, I'm sorry if I get the dates wrong. I haven't watched that movie. They made a movie about it. Too. It was in the. I want to say it was in the nineties. I want to say ninety six, maybe eighty six, ninety six. That sounds right to me. One of those. Uh, and then Australia passed stricter gun laws. And there was a note. There is quantifiable decrease. There was a quantifiable decrease in gun violence. And did it stop people from buying guns? No. But it stopped people from dying by guns. Oh, well, not, you know, most homicide deaths by guns are from suicide. Yeah, that's the other side of it. Mental health, gun laws. Do something on both, we can have some change. Instead, we're just on the pendulum swinging to the right and then back to the left. And then we'll swing back to the right again instead of stopping in the middle and doing what's right. Okay, sorry. Wow, long diatribe there, everybody. I apologize. <laughs> no, I, no, I don't apologize. I'm, I'm sorry that we got a little too political for a lighthearted podcast right here, but some things need to be said. And I would be remiss to not use minuscule podium that I have for posterity. Because you know, when my daughter hears this, I hope, she's, I hope she understands that, you know, people did try, mm-hmm. you know. So that's all I can say about that. Yep. Uh, Trey Harris for... City councilman in St. George, Utah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No thanks. I get drowned out real quick. Uh, although St. George is pretty progressive as opposed to like uh, other cities in Utah. So, because our proximity to Vegas and everything, you know, it's in the exodus of Californians. Uh, but anyway, let's move on. Uh, hopefully, you're still listening. Uh, but as a, you know, hey, leave a review, good or bad. We like them both. But again, just ask if you're going to leave a bad review. You know, he, uh, MF motherfucking GST, whatever his name was, you know, he left a sentence. You know, fine. Thanks for the sentence, but a little more elaboration. Like, say, oh, if you did your stance on this, I don't agree with, so I can't listen to all your talk about a movie that was not related to this up until then. Hey, yep. again, you can turn it off. When, it, when you hear it get political, you can turn it off and enjoy the parts you like. That's your freedom. Just like you have the freedom whether or not you pull the trigger of your gun because guns don't kill people. People kill people. Yeah, the gun helps. But uh, anyways, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yep. anyway, sorry. Leave a review, like we said. Uh, email uh, for uh, for your questions or anything like that, any tidbits. 80sRevisited at gmail.com on Facebook, 80sRevisited podcast. On Instagram, 80s underscore revisited. Shout out to our good friends far and away. Cajun Toy Review with John and Lafayette. Uh, got a lot of fun videos. Love your blind bag videos, John. Your disappointment, I feel. Uh, and of course, Ben with TCW over uh, in Tasmania. Beautiful country. I'd like to visit there one day. Uh, and next week, uh, of course, today's actually June. Well, we're recording this on June 1st. This will be out on June 3rd. Yep, I was right. I can do basic math occasionally. Uh, this will be out on June 3rd. But next week, let's see. So we have uh, June 10th. Uh, the movie for June 10th, uh, this is, of course, in case you didn't notice from your Facebook feed, everybody changing their icons. And I'm just being facetious. I'm not being, <laughs> I'm not being <laughs> derogatory on it. It is now Pride Month in the United States. Uh, so next week, we're going to look at one of the uh, LGBTQ plus films uh, that is one of, the, one of the very, very few that from the 80s that actually uh, is favorable in its representation. And that film, surprisingly, in case you didn't know, is a horror movie called The Hunger, directed by the late, great Tony Scott, brother Ridley, starring the late, great David Bowie and the lovely Catherine 
I think her last name is Dionne It's a French last name, Dionne Vu. Can't remember how it's pronounced, but mm. uh, yeah, great movie. Uh, great representation. Uh, we'll talk more about uh, that next week, obviously, on the podcast. But we'll, uh, the, the, the crazy thing is, and I found this incredibly interesting, because, you know, uh, and if you don't, hey, again, if, oh, they're doing, you know, I can hear people now, oh, they're doing a gay movie. Well, hey, maybe you should listen and get some perspective. Uh, maybe you should not, you know, have such an attitude about it. Maybe you should just listen. Maybe you should watch the movie and make a judge for yourself. Because I'll give you a hint. The person who would, oh, I don't want to, oh, oh, I can skip next episode. It's a gay movie. Hey, guess what, bro? I'm using that in quotation marks. It's lesbians. So you might, you might actually want to watch it. Uh, I'm being sarcastic there completely. But a great atmospheric horror movie, vampire horror movie. Uh, we'll do next week. Uh, it is not streaming for free anywhere, but you can rent it on Apple TV, Amazon, or YouTube for $2.99 or buy it for $9.99 on those same services. Uh, I, I'm not, but I might want to rent it. It's not for everybody. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's a great atmospheric movie. Uh, is it everybody wants to own it? Yeah, you know, if it was like a dollar more to own it, yeah, just buy it. So you have it in case you like it, you can watch it again. But it's you know, $2.99 versus $9.99. I'm gonna say rent it and then buy it if you like it. But I kind of like it. Uh and like I said, uh the the strange thing is like um because I just I just you know Google search, you know, what are some you know 80s movies with positive uh LGBTQ plus representation? And there's not many, but there's a lot, a ton that have negative representations mm-hmm. uh which we would not be discussing during june uh but it, it we'll get, i'll get more into this because i want to do some research on it because i find it kind of fascinating because you know in the 80s yeah and before then too i mean there, there were there were positive movies with representation before the 80s too you know but in terms of more to where something worthwhile to cover on this podcast uh for example uh gay the uh, lgbtq uh, uh, LGBTQ plus community really didn't get much positive representation in mainstream films until the nineties with such, uh, speaking of Australia, uh, exploitation films like, uh, Priscilla queen of the desert, uh, Hedwig, which wasn't exploitation, but you know, local, uh, which is the film version of the play and, you know, to Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Julie Newmar, uh, and a lot of other stuff in the nineties is where you, the nineties is a decade that saw the turn of representation gay representation in cinema, which uh, at f- when I was, uh, my first thought was that was weird. But then when you think about it, ah, there's a reason and it's an acronym of four letters, A-I-D-S. So just something to think about till we get to next week where we'll talk about it. Uh, I find it very fascinating and because this is something I didn't know. This is something I kind of just discovered just researching for stuff to do. So I think it's going to be interesting to research and talk about and just see, discuss how we as a society have changed because guess what people societies are supposed to change when you do something stupid and wrong. You're not supposed to, you're supposed to kind of stop doing that thing that is stupid and wrong. So yeah, next week we will celebrate pride month with the hunger. So hopefully you'll come back and join us. And if not leave a review and tell us why, you know, <laughs> appropriately. Mm-hmm. Anyway, everybody, <laughs> it's been fun and actually emotionally draining in the last 20 minutes of this podcast for me. Sure. So, whew. yep, I don't know. Felt good to get off my chest, though. So if you're still listening, thank you. I, I appreciate you listening this far, to be perfectly honest with you, because I know it kind of went off the I say I say off the rails, but I think it was I mean, I acknowledge that it 
kind of off the rail, so to speak, but something important to me. And I just felt like, you know, wanted to get it off my chest somewhere. And this podcast is a place for me to get things off my chest, whether it be the ludicrousness of an 80s movie, the acting of a person or the pretentiousness of an actor in a modern film, all sorts of things we like to talk about here. And as you know, it's Tangent City mm-hmm. on the Brock Lesnar of podcasting. We go to Tangent City. <laughs> so rest, wrestling fans will get that, hopefully. But anyway, everybody, let's end this episode finally. Until next time, I remain steadfast in my convictions. Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! And Diane Lane is a fox. Oh.